Well, good evening. It's the, good to gather with you here tonight on this Good Friday as we continue this week of remembering all that took place on that first Easter Sunday. If you're if you're visiting or you're not normal attender here, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. We're just tonight. We're here. We gather primarily first and foremost to just reflect and to remember all that takes place on that took place on that first Good Friday. Jesus hung on the cross. And we just sang about many of those things. How because of Jesus working on the cross that our the ransom for our sin has been paid. That our sins can be forgiven. And so as we Tonight we're going to reflect and remember through song and through hearing God's word, but just in an attempt to quiet our minds and quiet our hearts. Would you join me in prayer now? Father, we come tonight especially just in awe as we just sang, of your deep love for us, that you would send your Son that he would come and he would live a sinless life and he would die on the cross for us. It is a love that is hard to fathom. but it is a love that without it we would be without hope. And so we praise you and we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that it is finished. All that is required for us to be forgiven, to be made right with you, have been accomplished because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We can come before you confident that we are forgiven. We pray to you for that. We thank you, Jesus, for willingly giving up the glories of heaven and coming to earth, knowing the pain and suffering that awaited you. You walked faithfully the path laid out before you. You endured the cross. You endured the shame for us. So as we reflect and we remember tonight all that took place on the cross on that Good Friday, would it drive us to worship you? Would we see in fresh and new ways just how worthy of praise you are for all that you've done for us. Would we see in fresh and new ways just how reprehensible and terrible our sin is, what great cost it cost you. In response, would we take our sin seriously? Would we be amazed anew by all that you 
have done for us on the cross. So God, tonight, tune our heart to remember and to reflect and to praise you for all that you've done. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and continue singing with us.
so thankful that we just thank Jesus paid it all. Not most of it, not part of it, but Jesus paid every last sliver of our debt, knowing that we were hopeless to ever pay it back on our own. There is nothing we can add. There is nothing we can do to contribute more to the work of Christ. But He paid it all. We praise You for that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight, think about famous people throughout history. There are probably not many people I can relate to less than the artist Michelangelo. Like, like he was one of the most famous gifted artists of all time. I struggled to draw stick figures. Like, he never married or had kids. I do. <laughs> he had very little interest in like fancy food or drink. One of his apprentices once commented that he ate more out of necessity than out of pleasure. Whereas for me, like if there's pizza or some good dessert in front of me, like I will keep eating like way past full. Despite dying with a net worth of 50,000 gold ducats, Michelangelo like lived a life of poverty. He once told a friend, however rich I may have been, I've always lived like a poor man. Whereas I struggle sometimes with materialism and wanting nice things too much. He was wildly famous. He was friends with popes. He was a devout Catholic. I am none of those things. I'll have to say, there are, there are many ways that Michelangelo and I are very different people. One thing we we have in common, like a find, we both we both have a remarkable ability to leave projects unfinished. Michelangelo would often be called to the Vatican by different popes throughout his life and be given these big grand commissions, and he would start them, and then he would go back to Florence and live life. I wanted to live for a long time. Various popes were constantly trying to harass him and pin him down to finish work that they had commissioned him to start. In fact, like this habit of leaving works unfinished became so common that it like, led to the coining of a new term in art called non-finito, which literally means not finished. This is especially obvious in some of Michelangelo's sculptures that you can still go see today. Like their, their unfinished nature makes it look like his subjects are trapped in the marble, like struggling to get out. And when Michelangelo died, he left behind far more unfinished work than work that he finished in his entire career. But the point being, to, to start a great task is one thing. It's relatively easy to begin. The challenge lies in finishing the task, which is what makes what we read in John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30, so important. 
Though first just tell us that Jesus did not come to earth with grand aspirations only to fall short in the end. Instead, Jesus finished the great task that he set out to do from the very beginning. And that's what we remember on Good Friday. That Jesus finished the task. So see what I mean? Let's read those verses in John. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. They'll be on the screen. Read this. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jug of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus' final word, It is finished. And make it abundantly clear that like, his, the task he set out to do is accomplished. And really, these aren't even Jesus' final words. They're actually quite literally his last word. What we translate here as, it is finished, is in Greek, one single word, to telestai. And as someone, as myself, who likes to think of myself as efficient with my use of words and a man of relatively few words. Like sometimes I'm jealous of words like of languages like Greek where you can communicate so much in just a single word. And because of the way Greek words work, a single word can mean it is finished. So we can know from that one single word, Jesus is not saying I am finished. He's not saying you are finished. He's not saying it will be finished. He's not saying it might be finished. In that one word, Jesus is able to communicate, it is finished. But that efficiency of language that Greek has, to communicate so much in just one word, sometimes can cause a little bit of problem. Sometimes it can raise a little bit of ambiguity. Namely, in this case, it raises the question, what exactly is it? That is finished. Right? Jesus had just been given a drink. Like he could have just been saying, right, this drink is finished. But of course, that's not what Jesus is saying. And then when he says, it is finished, he is talking about the task that his whole life had been dedicated to. Like his purpose is completed, his job is done. But what exactly was that task? What exactly did Jesus finish on that first Good Friday? Tonight I want to consider that question a little bit. And then after I talk about that question, we're going to pause, we're going to sing another song that I just invite us to again remember and reflect. And then I want to come back up and talk about one more question, which is not only what is it that it finished, but how is it finished? That's the plan. But first, let's look at this question. Like, what exactly is it that Jesus finished on the cross? There are several places throughout the New Testament where we're given a pretty unambiguous 
statement about what Jesus sought to do in coming to earth. I'm going to look at just a couple of those with you this evening. One is found in Mark 10.45. There we read, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. According to that verse, Jesus came to do two things. First, he came to serve. And we see that purpose fulfilled all throughout his life. He healed, he fed, he comforted, he taught, he washed the disciples' feet, he served. In his living, Jesus was all about serving others. But it is in his dying that Jesus accomplishes the second thing he came to do. To give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom right, the sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. And the Bible repeatedly tells us that we are enslaved and we are indebted to our sin. Our sin has placed us under a debt that we can't ever in our own self-effort pay. But Jesus, because of his sinless, righteous life, is able to pay the ransom price on our behalf. He came for the express purpose of giving his life as a ransom for many. It's important to note that this verse in Mark is in the middle of Mark's gospel. This is not said at the very end of Jesus' life. It's right in the middle of his ministry. Jesus knew from the beginning of his ministry that he came to die. Good Friday did not catch Jesus or the Father unaware. It is what he knew he came to do from the very beginning. And then as he hangs on the cross, He's able to proclaim it, this task, to give my life as a ransom. It is finished. Likewise, another place where Jesus clearly states his ministry is in Luke 19. There Jesus says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The reason Jesus came was to save the lost. And the only way they could be saved was by his going to the cross through his death. So Jesus came to earth on that first Christmas. And he he started his great work of redemption there. But unlike Michelangelo, he didn't leave his great work unfinished. He saw it through to the end. Even though like completing that task meant his own death, he did not abandon his mission. He finished the task. And as he hangs on the cross, even in his agony, he had the satisfaction of knowing that he accomplished all that he set out to do. He gave his life as a ransom for many. He made it possible for the lost to be saved. And as he hangs on the cross, He's able to declare victoriously, it is finished. And having made that declaration, John tells us that he gives up his spirit. Isn't that an interesting statement? 
Jesus didn't die because his life was taken from him on the cross. He died because his work was finished. And so then he gave up his spirit. That's what we get to remember when we come together like this on, on Good Friday. That all that is required or will ever be required to pay for our sins has already been paid. The ransom has been paid. Our souls have been saved. It was all finished on the cross. There is nothing we can do. There is nothing we can add to what Jesus did. It is finished. That's going to give us a few minutes again to reflect and to remember that it is finished. That yes, we should strive to live lives that bring glory to God, but there is nothing we can do to add to that work of Jesus. It is finished. So we're going to sing another song. We need that time to reflect and to remember. I'll come back up for a few more minutes, but let's pray. Father, we thank you that the work is finished. That Jesus saw his task through to the end. That he did not abandon his mission. He did not leave the work undone. But that he endured the pain and the shame and the agony of the cross. And he finished the task. So that by believing in him, we can be forgiven. ransomed, our ransom can be paid and we can be saved even though we were once so lost we just want to praise you thank you
declaration, it is finished. But then it raises another question, which is exactly how did what Jesus do actually finish the work? How is it that Jesus' death on the cross pays our ransom? How is it that Jesus' death on the cross saves the lost? If you've, you've spent enough time in church, it becomes almost second nature and routine to say, like, Jesus died to save me from my sins. Something along those lines. In fact, it becomes so routine, so common, so cliche that we don't often stop to think about how strange it must sound to people who like, haven't spent a lot of time in church. Right? That's not exactly irrefutable, common-sense logic. That my sins are forgiven because the Son died, the Son of God died on a cross is not like an obvious, an automatic conclusion. I think it's helpful for us not only to understand what Jesus did on Good Friday, but also understand why Jesus' death actually lead to our forgiveness. Why Jesus' death actually does pay our ransom. There's a number of places we could go in the Bible to to answer that question, but I just want to look at a couple with you. The first is in Galatians 3, verses 10 through 13. There we read this. Paul writes, For all who rely on the work of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone 
who does not continue to do everything written in the book of law. Right? To live first tells us. Our own good works, they can never save us. Because we do not perfectly, continually obey God's law. Like we sin, and therefore we are under a curse. Paul goes on to say, Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it's that the person who does these things will live by them. And we come to verse 13. Here's the, the key verse. Paul writes, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? By becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Our sin left us cursed, forsaken by God. In our sin, we had rebelled against a, a holy God. And God, at the, the all-wise, all-good, all-just King of the universe, He decreed that the just punishment for sin was for us to be cursed and destined to spiritual and physical death. Our sin is serious. Our sin is grievous. If it were not, then Good Friday would not be a big deal. But if because our sin is so serious, so grievous, that we needed Jesus to come for us. like Our sin deserved to be punished. God would not be just and righteous if He turned a blind eye to our sin. Our sin rightfully places us under a curse. But here we read that on the cross, Jesus became a curse for us. Like He took the penalty we deserved upon Himself. We see the same thing in 2 Corinthians 5.21, where we read, God made Him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. That even though Jesus had lived a, lived a sinless life, when He went to the cross, on the cross, He became sin for us. Like on the cross, God treated Jesus as He had sinned every sin we ever sinned. But what's truly amazing is that Jesus in going to the cross for us doesn't just take away our sins and bring us back to a morally neutral position. Instead, Paul goes on to say, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only does Jesus take our sin on Himself on the cross, but He gives us His righteousness as well. Because of what took place on that first Good Friday, everyone who believes in Him, everyone who believes in Jesus, has Jesus' righteous life credited to them. Well, our sin is credited to Jesus and it's paid for on the cross. Martin Luther 
called this the great exchange. Our sin for His righteousness. And the work to make that exchange possible is ultimately finished on the cross. Peter puts it nice and succinctly in 2 Peter 2 when he writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, by the wounds Jesus received on the cross, we have the opportunity to be healed, to be forgiven. And so the good Friday is both a time to mourn and lament the effects of our sin that the Son of God needed to endure the pain and the agony of the cross. But it's also a chance to remember and to praise God. He sent His Son to endure that agony so that by His wounds we can be healed. But that only applies to those who have believed and trusted in Jesus. It's only those who have placed their faith in Him who Jesus heals by His own wounds on the cross. It's only those who have trusted in Him who He ransoms. But it's only those who have trusted in Him who are saved. So if you're here, you're watching, you've never trusted Jesus. We gather, we celebrate, we come together on Good Friday because we believe that Jesus really was the Son of God come to earth. He really went to the cross. He really physically died, endured all that pain so that we could be forgiven. Because our only hope of eternal life an eternity with God is to be forgiven and to have Jesus' righteousness credited to us. If you're here, you're watching, you never believe that. I urge you, place your faith in Him. Ask Jesus to forgive you. He endured great agony on your behalf. Trust in Him. Ask Him to forgive you. For us who are here, who have trusted Jesus, in a couple ways, Good Friday encourages us to respond. As I said, one is to feel the weight of our own sin. That our sin is not some trivial thing, but that the Son of God had to endure the agonies of the cross because of our sin. That's how serious our sin is. But it's also, as I said, a chance to, an invitation to praise Him. That He is willing to endure that pain and that agony because of His great love for us. So we want to spend the rest of our time here tonight praising Him 
glorifying Him for all that He's done for us. Let's pray and then let's sing. Father, we do thank You for the work of Jesus on the cross. That even though we did nothing to earn it, that we were Your enemies, that we were living in rebellion against You, You sent Your Son and He went to the cross knowing what lied before Him, enduring that pain, enduring the shame, all because You loved us so deeply. So we praise You in response to the incredible, unfathomable love You show us through the cross. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us again. I'm going to sing a few songs.
wonderfulness of the cross, that you would come, you would endure all that on our behalf. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please think about what the, the disciples must have felt on that, that good Friday in the pain and the sorrow of it. We are reminded of our own sin and we remember that on Saturday said a couple weeks ago in church it was silent and we wonder why did God leave Saturday silent? Why didn't God raise Jesus immediately? But he, that Saturday reminds us that God has a a purpose and a plan even in our suffering. Part of that reason is that we feel all the more the glory and the joy and the jubilance when Sunday comes. And Sunday is coming. So we just invite you to join us at 9 o'clock on Easter Sunday as we gather here. We'll celebrate, we'll rejoice together and we'll, after that service we'll join together for a a brunch, for a meal, just to celebrate that the grave could not hold Jesus, that He defeated death. As we we leave here, I just invite you to go reflecting, go thinking, go feeling the weight of all that represented on Good Friday. And then come back Sunday ready to rejoice. You are dismissed.